Welcome to the Freelance Sucks. Here we discuss the dark side of freelancing about which nobody usually talks out loud. In this show, we speak with experienced freelancers, and I'm sure listening to their stories helps you prepare for freelancers' challenges. My name is Yuri. I'm a community builder at Code Control and 9am.works, and my guest is Caroline Dick, a social marketing and community building freelancer expert and a business owner with nine-ish years of experience who loves building organic relationships. So welcome, Carolyn. Hi, Yuri. Thanks for having me. We were talking a little bit about your challenges before, so let's start right away. And for you, what is the most challenging part of being a freelancer? Probably that piece that we kind of chatted about in the other podcast. We talked a lot about trusting yourself, right? Mm. When you're a freelancer, a lot of times you don't have a team. Um, I work primarily like I'm the one making the decisions. I have a couple contracts where I get to be kind of embedded in a team and those are newer to me. That's a newer experience. I love them because it's so different, but that trusting yourself piece is probably the biggest challenge because you go into freelancing and you're like, you have no one to blame but yourself, <laughs> right? Like, sure, clients can be difficult or maybe they're causing you know, hiccups or the work isn't turning out the way you expected because of unforeseen circumstances or someone's not getting you photos or videos on time or whatever. But it's you, right? At the end of the day, you have to, you know, live or die by what processes you've set up and who you've decided to work with. And I think that's the hardest part. <laughs> And I also feel like it's a lot about taking responsibility because at the end of the day, you know, if you, even if you trust yourself, but mm -hmm. you didn't do something correctly, you have to kind of have this conversation and explain to client. And I'm curious, you told a little about it in the previous episode, but still, have you always told your clients the truth as it is, or did you sometimes make it up? I am really, I, I, like, one of my biggest fears, maybe this is just imposter syndrome, was, like, having a client be, like, you're a fraud. Because mm. when I started, social media was not a career. It was not a studied field at all. There, there were no, like, certifications even in 2015. There maybe were, like, one or two maybe through Meta. I don't even know if they started their education thing then. I certainly didn't do it. But starting with this, like, there, and I'm also a very proud college dropout. So, like, <laughs> you know, sometimes there are people who will be like, oh, what did you study in school? Be like, well, I studied a bunch of things and then I burned out and I quit and I've never been happier. And they're like, well, how do you know how to do this? And they're like, I don't. <laughs> Um, I have always been afraid, right, of somebody coming at me and being like, well, you don't know what you're doing. So I've always yeah. lived with that, of being like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. Not not anymore as much, but in the beginning, I'd be like, a lot of this is going to be experimental, right? I know some things that work. I understand the basics, but your industry, your needs are unique and specific. So we're going to be doing a lot of learning together as a client and a contractor. A freelancer and most of the clients I've worked with were very like yeah um, some of the few that I alluded to that were nightmare clients even if I explained that up front 
Mm-hmm. And like, you know, it's not totally self-deprecating. It's honest. It's like, even if I'm building a website and I had built, you know, a hundred at the point, I would always tell my clients to be like, Hey, I've built a lot of websites. I'm very comfortable doing it. Every single website has some unique challenge that I have not met. It's just the nature of building websites or managing social media. Like there's going to be something unique that I've never done in this project. That doesn't mean that I can't do it. We'll figure it out together. Even when I've said that, I have had a couple of my nightmare clients were the ones who came back when a challenge arose and were super nasty about the fact that I didn't know how to immediately fix this. And I'm like, we talked about this. We have this in writing. This is in my contract that you signed. <laughs> so I'm like, you have no reason to be so mean. <laughs> Even email. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it's always, it's always about, you can talk about everything and then things are yeah. coming and then, yeah, everything coming, coming back again. So talking about um, a little bit deeper. So what is the most time-consuming thing you must deal with as a freelancer, except for work itself? Okay, except for work itself. I would say the most time-consuming thing for me has been in the past bookkeeping mm-hmm. um, and keeping my records. I feel pretty confident now I've got a really good system and was smart several years ago and hired a bookkeeper because no matter how much I try, right, that is not something I like doing. So when I finally got to a, like an income threshold where I could hire a bookkeeper, like to monthly, right, like go through my receipts and do it for me because I mm-hmm. am a baby, um, that was huge. So that changed that a lot. Um, So that's not as time consuming. It's still somewhat. Um, now I would say besides the work itself, writing proposals for new potential clients, because I really like to take my time and research what they want. Mm-hmm. I have conversations with them beforehand. So that takes time. And then like really, really give them something that they can either take to their board or their team or themselves and look at and feel really good about the nature of the work that we would do together. So I go for a really detailed proposal. And so that, that does take a lot of time now. So they just can't say, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I would rather them say no after <laughs> reading through that than for them to be like, oh, we'll take a risk. Like, yeah, you can take a risk and bet on me, but I want you to feel real confident in that risk. I don't want you to be like, mm, prove it. Like, no, <laughs> like, either you trust me or you don't. Got it. And what is the most nerve consuming thing? Waiting for the answers from proposals. <laughs> um, when contracts, because um, I've gotten kind of into this the last couple of years where instead of working on a bunch of smaller projects, I've shifted to work for kind of one anchor client that is ongoing that I've had mm-hmm. for many years now um, doing social media management and then smaller one-time projects for people, whether that's consulting or strategy or different things like that. And then just a couple larger 
longish term contracts. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. when those revolving larger longish term contracts come up or they're getting close to the end, that is always for me the most nerve wracking time because so far in my career, it's always worked out that when something large is ending, something else comes up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that has been proven time and time again for me, even now, as I'm looking at, you know, a couple contracts potentially ending, things, things are popping up that seem like they would be good fits. So that's like, there's this time between like the window of when the contract ends and right before the new opportunities pop up, that's probably the most nerve wracking. <laughs> and talking about new opportunities popping up. So... I, that's exactly like very hard time when you know that a contract is uh, coming to an end and then you have to search for another client. Do you do something during this time or do you do something prior to this time? So how, how to ensure that those opportunities are popping up or is it just a serendipity? Um, it's, it's a mix of serendipity and manufacturing serendipity, right? Mm. Um, I have found that having my brand be active online obviously or myself be active online in the right places that is the most beneficial thing that i can do to attract opportunities so in the past a lot of my opportunities came i track where i get referrals from or like where people say i heard about you on your website or so and so told me about you. I track that year over year, starting in like 2018, I have data, so it's not the most, but I used to be very Instagram centric. My business and most of my work, right, mm -hmm. was on Instagram. And I've since shifted, not any real reason, I just have found that a lot more of the types of people that I wanna work with now at this stage in my business, mm -hmm are more on LinkedIn and YouTube. Mm. I've shifted my focus. I really don't post on Instagram anymore. And I have been thinking about this year of what, what I really want my strategy to be moving forward and how I want to address the audience that I've already built on Instagram and what I want to do with the next pieces. But having that, whichever platform it's on, that personal brand and that expertise and that trust built up even if it's not the exact person, right? Like person A sees my post, tells person B about it and person B hires me. Mm -hmm. I need to have people aware of the things I know and what I do and how I am as a person because how I present myself online <laughs> is much how I'm going to be to work with. Like I'm goofy, I'm a little silly, I'm sassy, like snarky, like, but I'm going to get the work done. If people see my online presence and it's very different than who I am to work with, that's bad news too. It's the wrong opportunities are gonna come to me. So presenting myself in an honest way online has been overall, whether I have contracts or not, if I have a full roster or a zero roster, I'm still trying to be present online mm -hmm. to maintain that consistency. Got it. And. As a freelancer, do you ever feel professional loneliness? <laughs> For sure. <laughs> For sure. Everybody, I feel like everybody feels it. And I live really rural too. I live in the middle of nowhere and <laughs> I really love it, right? That's the, that's the type of life I want to live. But I'm a super extrovert. So 
I have specific things that I do to make sure that I get that sense of, you know, community and belonging. Mm-hmm. Um, with one of my contracts and two recent ones that I've had, but one that's current, I get to work with a team, like embedded in a team. And that has been amazing, right? Like that's really, really fun. And the team's great and like company culture is amazing. So that's really, really lovely to like be there. But before mm-hmm. I had that contract, it could be super lonely, right? The other team, like a year and a half ago that I was embedded in, it was fine, but it was very, it was not a, not like fun environment. Like it was a very dry <laughs> type situation where if we were getting together in meetings or emailing back and forth, it was very just get the work done, basic. But it's been fun to be part of a fun team recently, but before then I would, I would manufacture times to make sure that I was having fun connections. So uh, using the Groove app at the beginning of last year, 23, was really, really helpful for me in a time where like it was so cold, it was super snowy. We live on a gravel road, so if it is very cold and very snowy, we don't always leave our valley. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, you know, you're feeling the like seasonal isolation plus professional isolation. So I was like, okay, we are not going to do a seasonal depression episode (laughs) this year. We're going to work our way through this, but yeah, using co-working tools like Groove or just you know, texting a friend and being like, we don't even have to talk, but can we just sit in Zoom together and work? <laughs> got it. Got nice. it. You know, Carolyn, I really wish to have the sky's the limit, but time is the limit. So the final question, if your friend wanted to become a freelancer, what are top three things you'd advise them to consider before doing it? Um, are you comfortable with your own time management? It doesn't have to look like a nine to five, but can you be self-driven or learn those skills? Because I think a lot of us are so used to school, work, different things like that, um, setting the routine for you. And a lot of us in our minds are like, I wish I could set my own routine. And then when you're faced with that, you're like, like, so try it out, try out like take a week off of work or a few days off of work that is not around a holiday and like Mm. see if you can set up your own routine for yourself that you enjoy that's the first one second one um keep good records just have a system to keep good records of what you're doing in business who you've worked with how much they've paid you when they paid you because those will you'll need to know those (laughs) And the smaller the details that you can take it on, the better. Um, and then the third thing is just start start doing things that build trust with yourself. That's going to look different for every person. Maybe that's having a workout routine. Maybe that's journaling every day. But yeah. build that trust in yourself first because it's so important. And once again, it sounds so easy. <laughs> But yeah, it takes really a lot of time and a lot of conversations. And yeah, I I totally get what you are talking about. And yeah, Caroline, thank you so much for sharing your challenges and for having such an open conversation. Of course. Thanks for having me. And thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, hit the like button on five stars and share it with your friend. That's it. We're done. See you in the next episode.